this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, we serve a good God. If you haven't turned around to a person around you and said, Happy New Year this year, just quickly say, Happy New Year. I know it's the 31st of the 1st, 2016, but it's a new year, it's a new day. And I like to say, Happy New Year to you all. My first time in Dunedin for 2016, the promised land, is that right? How many had a good summer? How many are looking forward to summer? <laughs> Amen. Well, here it's been unbelievable. Today, I just want to go to the Word of God and unpack some vision. One thing I found is that without vision, we, we're careless. In fact, that's what the Bible says, Proverbs 29, verse 18. Without vision, people cast off restraint. They're careless. Or without vision, one other version says, people perish. And it's so important that you and I are living with vision. Now, vision isn't something written on a piece of paper. It's not just even a pretty picture. It's something that lives in our spirit. It's something that we receive in our spirit. Our natural eyes can't perceive it. Our ears can't hear it, nor can our natural, natural mind conceive it. It's only the Spirit of God that can reveal the future. How many know He's the beginning and the end? He's the only one who knows the future. And we can trust in Him with our future this morning. And I believe God's going to open our eyes to see what we couldn't see by ourselves. He's going to open our ears. He's going to allow our mind to conceive the plans and the purposes that He has for us. How about just lifting a hand or two right where you are? Because Holy Spirit, I thank You. You're in this place. Lord, I thank You. Lord, as we minister to You, You minister to us. And we're asking You to do what only You can do. Lord, come by Your Spirit. Lord, I thank You, Lord, that You have a plan and purpose for every individual in this place. Lord, a plan that's going to bring life, that's going to bring freedom and prosperity. A plan, Lord, that is going to cause people in this place to have greater influence than they've ever known before. A plan, Lord, that's going to cause others to know how good you are. Lord, I pray, Lord, this morning you'll cause our hearts to come alive in a way, Lord, that we've never experienced before. Lord, we, we pray, Lord, as a group of people, Lord, that you join us together, you knit us together, that, Lord, we may declare, Lord, your, your promise, Lord, to a people who don't know you. Oh, we thank you, Lord, that as we draw near, you draw near to us. And in our hearts, we come close this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you come and do a mighty work among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can we give God one more clap of praise? And can we do that? That'd be great. And how about give you somebody a high 10 as you take your seat this morning? Thanks, man. 2016 is a big year. In fact, this year is 100 years since the movement that we're a part of was birthed. 
Some guys in the UK got together and they had this crazy vision of belting the world with the gospel. That's not belting the world, but it's encircling the world with the gospel. Uh, that resulted in many missionaries being sent out into uh, the world. In fact, in 1934, I think it was, uh, that was the first year that some missionaries arrived in New Zealand and started the first church. This church here is, a, is as a result of that, 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 that mission and that vision. How many know it's so important that you and I live with mission and purpose? And I want to declare this morning that the future is bright and bold. And today I want to declare to you a bold vision. In a lot of ways, that's going to sound ridiculous. It's going to be out there. It's going to be impossible. It's not a new vision. It's a bigger vision. In fact, I'm right now in my 15th year of leading a church. And I heard a minister some years back say, uh, it wasn't until your 15th year you did anything significant. And I thought, well, uh, here I go. I'm in my 15th year now, so I'm praying for some significant things in Jesus' name. Man, I'm grateful for what God has done and the lives who have been impacted. But I know there's so much more. There's so much more. I, I love what God's doing in this church and what He's done. But how many know there's more in Jesus' name? That's why you're going into two services on a Sunday morning, because it's about creating space so that God could move. I and God's saying, come on, give me some space so I can do what I can do. And I believe as we create space, God fills that space. We're not declaring to you a new vision. In fact, in a lot of ways as Equippers Church, we're just heading in the same direction, but we're in a different place. Uh, we've got more locations than we've ever had before. In fact, this year, do you know we're launching our 16th location in New Zealand? 16th location in New Zealand, in Nelson. On the 28th of February, Nelson is uh, the church there starting already. There's a gathering of 80 people, but we're officially launching Equippers Nelson, which I'm believing God's going to do something significant in that upper region of the South Island in Jesus' name. You know, throughout the years, we've got 16 locations here, but we've also now got eight internationally. Uh, our churches in London and Berlin and Zurich and in the Philippines and in Tonga are going from strength to strength. In fact, I was just talking to Pastor John in the Philippines and uh, the amount of people who have given their hearts, who are now leaders, you know, who two years ago weren't even in contact with God. Now, you know, not only are they saved, but they're now walking in their calling and they're leading in the house of God. That's exciting, isn't it? Because there's a church here and right around the country, we invested into that and that is bearing good fruit. I love the fact that we've grown in influence as a movement. And I love the fact that God's raised up individuals to, to be the difference in whatever place they find themselves. You know, I love the fact also that we're growing in faith and love. And, and to me, church is simply a whole lot of friends challenging one another to go higher in God. How many want to go higher in God this year? That's why a whole lot of friends, different backgrounds, different age ranges, different cultures coming together saying, hey, God saved us. He died for me. So you and I can live for Him. 
and we want to live for Him and His purpose this year. You know, this church is still all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about an individual. It's about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's about Jesus. And we're still all about Jesus. And that's why, you know, I believe if you serve a big God, you can't have a small vision. If you serve a big God, you got to have a big vision. In fact, I read just a couple of weeks back, Michael Madden says this. He says, if your vision isn't intimidating to you, there's a good chance that it's insulting to God. I'll read that again. If your vision isn't intimidating to you, there's a good chance that it's insulting to God. Come on, let's not live lives less than what God has purposed. If you got your Bible this morning, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, go there and then put your thumb there and just go back into the Old Testament and go to Isaiah 60. I just want to read out two passages of Scripture. We're going to start with Ephesians and then we're going to work backwards. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this. It says, for we are His workmanship. Uh, other versions say, we are his masterpiece. You are a piece of art. Just not a piece of art. You are a masterpiece. You may feel like a mistake. You may feel like the circumstances of your life are an accident. But in God's sovereignty, here this passage declares that you and I are his workmanship. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you are his masterpiece. Uh, when God created you, He didn't make a mistake. He didn't uh, ma- mistake. He didn't go, "Oops, got that wrong. Uh, I'll try better next time." <laughs> no, you are a piece of art. You're ordained by God. God has formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Isn't that good news this morning? That we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. We're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So He's already prepared them beforehand that you and I might walk in them. Here's the thing. You're created on purpose and you're created for a purpose. Now, when, when architects design buildings, the first thing questions they ask is, what's the purpose of the building? And then the design matches the purpose. When God formed you, He said, well, what's the purpose? He arranged the purpose and the works, and then He formed you to match that purpose. You're created for a purpose, on purpose. You know, I believe in life. Life is too short not to know your purpose. You've been created by God and you've been created for God. But how many know in life stuff happens that we don't understand? In fact, just two Fridays ago, I got a message from a friend saying another close friend of ours had been struck by lightning and killed instantly. How many know that leaves you with a whole lot of questions? Here's a youth minister at a youth camp. He was out on the Oval in Australia. He was struck by lightning and he died. And I'm going, what's up with that? 
Some things in this life don't make sense in the today. But in the light of eternity, all things make sense. And there's things that happen in our life and that happen to our family members that we don't understand. But we can trust in a God who's sovereign, who's the beginning and the end. We can trust in a God who makes all things beautiful in its time. Now, you and I are born for eternity, not just the here and now, but eternity. And it's so important when we look at life, we look at it through an eternal lens. Because life doesn't make sense if we're just building for the here and now. We're to build with eternity in view. And this year, what we want to do as a church is we really want to help people discover their God-ordained purpose. Because when you know your God-ordained purpose, it's there you find your sweet spot. How many know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a sweet spot? If you play tennis, you know, it's that, that sweet spot in the middle of a racket. Yes, I'm a left-hander. You know, God bless all the left-handers. But, but in the middle of a racket, you hit it, not with much force, but it, it comes out faster. And it goes in the direction that you want it to go. In a cricket bat, golf club, whatever, that sweet spot. God wants you to find your sweet spot this year. Because I believe life is harder than it needs to be when we're not walking in and living in God's sweet spot or His grace zone for our life. See, God has a grace zone for you to walk in. That's where you know His empowering presence. That's where the weight of heaven comes in behind you. You've got to understand that God's grace is not attached to your good works. God's grace is attached to His purpose. His purpose. And when you align your life with God's purpose, it's there you know your sweet spot. It's there you find your grace zone. It's there where you find your such a time as this. It's not by chance you're born in the family you're born in and the circumstances around your life. God ordained you. He saw you from the beginning of time that you'd be living right here now, that you'd be in a church in Dunedin on the 31st of the 1st, 2000. 2016. You're not here by chance. And there's a, such a time as this that God wants you to discover. There's a purpose in God where you could say in life, I was born for this. This is what I've been put on the planet for. This is my destiny. This is my call. Uh, you can know that in God. You know, I find many Christians that know they're saved and that they'll one day go to heaven but they don't know their purpose here and now. I believe it's so important that we discover our purpose because life is too short not to know your purpose. Let's quickly go to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah 60. It's a great passage. It starts with, Arise, shine, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon who? It's risen upon you. God's glory has risen upon you this morning. But I'm going to go down a few verses and read from verse 19. Listen to this. It says, The sun shall no longer be your light by day. That's not good news, supposedly. 
The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor the brightness, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. Again, not good news, but listen to this. Everyone say but, because there's a but here. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting life. That's good news. That's great news. And your God, your glory, your sun shall no longer go down. Amen. Nor shall the moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. In other words, what's been said here is, is, is you're no longer, you no longer need to have your life determined by what's outside of you. There's going to be a light that's everlasting that lives on the inside of you so that you will live in continuous light. You won't be in the dark any longer. You don't need to be confused anymore. Yeah, you don't need to live with that cloud. You don't need to live with that oppression or depression. There's an everlasting light that will bring light to you. And the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also, your people shall all be righteous and they shall inherit the land forever. God's got a promise for you to possess. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. And a little one shall become a thousand, a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. I like just that last part. One shall become a thousand and a small one, a strong nation. And God will hasten it in its time. Do you know as a church, we want to get bigger. We don't apologize about that. Why? Because while there's still people who don't know Jesus, we're going to do everything that we can to reach them. Now, now when you talk about big, you know, many people think big is impersonal. Well, we don't want to become impersonal. You know, we want to be small and that we care for every individual. But we want to be a small church with thousands of people. In Jesus' name. God wants us to grow because we're on mission. We're here for a purpose. We want to be bigger, but we want to be better. Just because you're bigger doesn't mean you're better or stronger. As a church, we want to grow bigger. We want to be better. We want to be stronger. We want to be faster in Jesus' name. Come on, I want to declare that over this church, that you're going to grow this year, but you're not going to lose the personal touch. I want to declare you're going to be better, bigger, faster, stronger. Come on, how many want to receive that? And one will become a thousand, and the small, listen to this, will become a strong nation. Now, now many people uh, yeah, would have heard of the uh, Pareto principle or the Pareto principle. Potato, potato, I don't know how you say it. Uh, but, you know, you, you would have heard of this. Others would have heard it described as the 80-20 rule. How many have heard of the 80-20 rule before? Uh, it's, it's a well-known rule. Really what it states is that 80% effects come from 20% causes. 80% effects come from 20% causes. You know, some would say that, you know, 80% for salespeople, they'll say 80% of your sales will come from 20% of your clients. And, and they'll say, well, I'll focus on that 20% because there you'll be more productive. 
In fact, uh, Pareto did the study when he was in Italy and he discovered that 80% of the land ownership in Italy was owned by 20% of the people. And, and this rule has crossed many industries and, and has been used to describe in a lot of ways how nature works. But how many know it doesn't describe how the kingdom of God works? In a lot of places in church, though, however, it does describe how a lot of churches work where, where 20% of people are engaged and, and, and they do 80% of the ministry. Uh, but I found that, that the early church wasn't founded or formed on the Pareto Principle. Uh, in fact, when I look at the early church, which is found in Acts chapter 2, you often hear preachers say, we want to be an Acts chapter 2 church. Acts 2 church was where the church was birthed, but it's also where the church was foundations were laid. Now, on that day when the church was birthed, 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus and were baptized that day. I mean, I reckon that's awesome. Now, many people, when they say, well, that's the birth of the church, that's the early church, they say, well, that was for then. That was for that day. But I believe Acts chapter 2 describes not just the birth, but it describes the foundations on which church should be built today. And so the Acts 2 church is relevant not just to back then, but here and now. And it's so important we understand how the church operated because it says in Acts chapter 2 that all the believers, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They weren't looking for anybody else to do it for them. They weren't waiting to somebody ask them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. You know, wherever there was a meeting, man, were there. They devoted themselves to prayer. It was a devotion that came from all the people. I like this because, because the apostles or the leaders in that day sent out an invitation. It wasn't a demand. You know, when, I believe when Christ is living on the inside of you, God gives an invitation to live in the fullness of what He ordained from the beginning of time. And yet you look through just Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read through Acts chapter 2, because when you study the Bible, you're told to learn, look for repetition. Because wherever there's repetition, there's a pattern developing. And I want to read through Acts chapter 2 and just highlight, not all of them, but but but. Ten times where a three-letter word appears. Ten times. And, and it's the word all. And so, so we're quickly going to go through uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, not just some, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Verse 7 says, Then they were all amazed and marveled. 
Verse 12, it says, So they were all amazed and perplexed. They were amazed. They didn't understand everything that was going on, but it says they were all amazed and perplexed. Verse 17 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my Spirit on Come on, I need not just some, not just 20% right now. Yeah, I'll pour out my spirit on flesh, all flesh. Verse 36, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 39, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 44, it says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, And they sold all their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favour with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Notice it wasn't the 20% doing 80. The church should never live within those confines. The New Testament model of church is that every member is a minister. And I want to declare to you, you can make a difference. You're important in the kingdom of God. I want you to ask a question right now. Is The question I want to ask is, who has made the biggest difference in your life? I want you to think of somebody you personally know who's made the biggest difference in your life. You may want to even write down that person's name. You know, I don't have to put my father, Bruce. He's made the biggest difference in my life. Other than God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. You know, my father has had a huge impact on my life. For some, it may be a parent, it may be a friend, it may be a coach, it may be a teacher, and maybe they've had a significant difference in your life. Now, My prayer is at the end of 2016 that if people in your world were to be asked that question, they'd write your name down. They'd think of you. That person made a difference in my life. See, we're all called to make a difference. We're all called to change the world. The Bible says we've been saved and we've been called according to His purpose. Many people today, they live saved, but they don't live called. And they wonder why they never find their sweet spots. And it's when we live in the purpose of God, it's there we find our sweet spot. You know, in the foundation of the early church, all understood this. They had all things in common. Wherever there was need, all of them gave. They shared. Every member was a minister. 
ministry was put in the hands of every believer. Do you know, no matter how many times I preach this or other people preach this, many people lift their head and nod their heads. They nod their heads, they give intellectual assent to it. But they still live and operate from the premise that ministry is what happens on a stage. Ministry happens with those who are spiritual. I'm not a minister, but according to my Bible, if you believe in Jesus, you're a minister. Uh, The modern church has a paradigm that leaders do the ministry. That's popular culture today. But as a church, we want to reverse that and we want to see people equipped. That's why we're called equippers. Because God has given gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to equip every believer. Ministry was never meant to be put in the hands of a professional few. And go, they're called, they're anointed. No, ministry was always supposed to be outworked through ordinary, everyday believers. We're, and as a church, we're here to equip people so that they can impact their world. In fact, the word equipped means to be made fit for purpose. And as a church, we want to help people discover their God-given purpose. In fact, the church, by definition, is called the ecclesia. And the word ecclesia means a group of people, a gathering of people who have been called out for a specific purpose. God's got a purpose for you to lay hold of. And we're going to be bold in helping discover, helping people discover the question, what on earth am I here for? What is the purpose of my life? Uh, We want to help people. And then in turn, we want to get people helping others. You know, too many people today, I find, you know, who are in their 20s, they're, they're looking for a father. But I'm saying to guys in their 20s, you need to start being a father and stop looking for a father. So many people today are looking for mentors. But I believe God is wanting to raise up a people who will become mentors to the world around them. You know, we want to help people discover this. Now, is this going to happen in a moment? No. It's a journey of discovery. But I believe as you get moving, is there God reveals. How I many know it's hard to steer a parked car? Many people are in the garage right now with the steering going like this and wondering why they're not getting any direction. But I believe as you get moving in God, God begins to show you and reveal. If you're young here, the process of discovering your call and your grace zone sometimes is by trying stuff out. It didn't take me long to realize that my grace was, wasn't singing. It didn't take me, I had to try it though. To find out I didn't have that grace. So many people limit themselves because they don't go out and they don't discover things. But as you get on the move, is there God is able to direct you. The reason why we're doing this Daniel fast, by the way, you're starting it a week earlier than we are in Auckland. So I'm going to have cream donuts this week. (laughs) Just saying, just saying. (laughs) 
uh, we're starting next week. But the reason why we're doing this fast is because we want to challenge ourselves in God. And when you deny the flesh, what happens is your spirit opens up to God. I don't know about you, but it's natural for me to go home and go straight to the fridge. Open the door, look in the fridge, and sometimes I just stare in it, even if there's no food. (laughs) It's natural to want food, but by denying that desire, what it does is it opens your spirit to God and it enables you to get clarity. And my Bible says, if you seek after God, you'll find Him. If you ask, it will be given. If you knock, the door will be open. Do you know why the reason many people never find their purpose? Never find answers is because they don't seek. If you seek, you will find. Some people are waiting for their purpose just to come and slap them around the face. Oh, you know, it's not going to happen. You'll live in the wilderness if you just stay where you are. You've got to get moving and moving forward in Jesus' name. You know, to help people discover their purpose. Uh, this year, right across Equippers, we're saying, uh, you know, we're, we're asking to make some decisions. You're going to make some decisions. In fact, we've, uh, we're titled it The Big Four. Everyone say The Big Four. <laughs> Uh, the big four. What's the big four? It's four decisions that we're asking people to make. And I believe these decisions will help people discover their God-given purpose, their, their grace zone, their sweet spots. Uh, there's a mission call on each, of, uh, each one of our life. We are called for mission. The Great Commission wasn't just given to the disciples back then, it was given to the church in every generation. There's a mission call on each and every one of our life. There's also a career call. I I believe wherever you are, God's got a purpose for that, that place. You're not working where you are, studying where you are, just to fill time, just to earn a living. You know, I hear people go, man, I just can't wait for the weekend. The weekend's going to be awesome. You know, and I think, yeah, that's great. It's almost like they hate their week and they live for the weekend. How many know some people like that? You know, it's like I'm going, that's not good odds. Two days out of seven, you get to have fun. But the rest of the time, five out of seven, you hate it. You just don't. No, God has a career for you uh, which will fulfill something on the inside. But not only that, it will cause you to walk in your God-given purpose. I know there are some, some people here who know they're called to the medical world. It's been an interest. You've got gifts and graces on the inside of you that, that aren't there by chance. God's placed them there. You know, in the educational world as well, you know, in sports and health, many different spheres. God's got a career where you can outwork your purpose. There's your missions call, there's your career call, and there's your call to community and your call to serve. And the big four are around these calls. And this year we're saying number one is choose a mission. Choose a mission. Uh, the sense of mission and purpose, how many know can easily get lost? Especially when you're busy. 
You, you can have a whole lot of activity, but not still, uh, still not be hitting your mark. And we're asking everybody this year and the next two years to choose a short-term mission that they can go on. A, a mission where they can expose themselves to a world that's different from their own. I mean, no, we all think we're normal. I, I, I want to declare, you're not normal. And nor are you meant to be. What short-term mission does, though, is it puts us in a, another context and opens our eyes to need outside of ourselves. No, you can think you have a problem, but when you see somebody else who's got bigger problems than you, your problems become insignificant. And many people live in small worlds because they haven't been exposed to the world around them. You know, in fact, many people think Auckland is busy, but you go to Mumbai, India. Compared to that, Auckland's a ghost town. No traffic problems in Auckland. When you go to Mumbai, when you go to London... But we, we live in these small worlds and we have our small little problems. But what short-term mission does is it opens our eyes to a bigger world. But sadly, many people go, well, I don't want that bigger world. I just want my comforts and I want my convenience here. If you want your comforts and convenience here, you'll miss your sweet spots. Because God's called you to live a big life, not a small life. God hasn't called you to live just in pursuing comforts. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for living comfortable. But I believe there's, there's a discomfort that should be in all our hearts when we see the need of the world in the world around us. We live in a world that without Jesus is stuffed. And needs this message. And we've got to do everything that we can to share this message with the world that needs it. You know, that's what we're saying. Choose a mission, whether it be local, whether it be national or international. Choose one. Maybe save up to go on a trip to the Philippines. Maybe go to India. And in the next couple of years, we're launching Equippers Calcutta. How exciting is that? You know, I, I love that verse in Isaiah 60. It says, from the small shall come a strong nation. The strong from one, a thousand. Uh, who would have thought from New Zealand we'd be able to plant churches in London, Philippines, Zurich, Berlin. Uh, man, what God's done has been unbelievable. What God's opening up right now in Calcutta. In fact, not only that, we've got, uh, got a couple coming from Rome and they're coming to Auckland and being part of our Bible college for, for four months because we're going to also be studying Equippers Rome. Wow. How many feel called on mission there? <laughs> uh, so, but India, Tonga, we've got a revolution tour this year, which is a, a, a mission into our local high schools. We've got the highest suicide rate in, in, the, in the, the, the world. and We've got to do something about that. Those statistics should disturb us. That's why we do things like Revolution Tour. Because we can't just sit there and go, oh, oh man, we feel sorry for them. We've got to actually bring the change that is needed. And we're saying, choose a mission. And then in the next two years, 
I'm believing that 80% of our church would have gone on short-term mission. Because I want to flip that 80-20 rule. I hate that Pareto principle when it comes to the church. Because I have a belief that all should be involved. And I'm saying in the next two years, choose a short-term mission that you can go on. Yeah, give up your annual leave. Yeah, save. In fact, I've had people come back from mission, been in the Philippines, use their annual leave, and they said that was the best holiday, the best use of my money that I could ever, ever use it for. I've come back refreshed. I've come back energized, and I'm ready to take on what God's purpose this year. Choose a mission. Everybody say, choose a mission. That's number one. First of the big four is choose a mission. The second one is choose a mountain. Choose a mountain. No, I'm not talking about Mount Cook or Mount Ruapehu or Mount Eden or Mount Wellington. Uh, uh, mountains resemble places of influence. And there's pillars in our society in, in which the world works and, and, and where influence flows from. As a church, often people have looked at the world and been scared of it. But I believe as Christians, we're called to infiltrate our world. In fact, Jesus says we're like yeast. We're in there and we, we should infiltrate every part of the world. In fact, in Revelations, it talks about how it says the seventh angel, if we could put that verse up in Revelation 11, verse 15, it says the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices. And it says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. There's right now kingdoms in this world. Uh, many people have, have called them mountains. Uh, in fact, there's the seventh, seventh mountain prophecy. There's, uh, people have called them the nine spheres of influence or, or 12. Uh, we've, uh, we've uh, highlighted nine mountains that I believe God wants to give us favor in. And it's where, where people can actually say, well, this is what I believe I'm called to in life. I'm called to take this mountain. There's a mountain of business. There's businessmen and women in this place. You know your call is in business. That's your ministry. You're called to take that mountain, to bring the kingdom of God into that mountain. There's others who are called to the mountain of family. It's a mountain. There's a mountain of media. The whole media is a place of influence. And as Christians, we need to take that mountain. We can't just accept what's going on coming across our TV screens. Come on, we need good Christian men and women who are called by God, who are script writers, you know, who really take that mountain of media. There's the a, there's a mountain of the church. There's the mountain of arts and entertainment. There's the mountain of government. We need good godly politicians in Jesus' name. There's a mountain of education. There's a mountain of sport. There's a mountain of health. They are the kingdoms of this world. And in Revelation, it says the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdom of God. So many people thought, well, the church is just about a Sunday meeting. No, no it's not. It's about equipping you so that you can take a mountain for God. So that you can reach into that place 
See, I, I really believe that people are anointed and called to take mountains. And we want to peop- help people discover their mountain. Because I believe when you bring alignment to your life, that's where you get rhythm and that's where you get flow. And many people haven't got rhythm and flow because they don't know what they're called to. And we want to do everything that we can to help people discover their mountain. Now, you may have two in there, but there'll be a primary one. This is what I'm called to. Well, how are you investing into that? How are you you training? I, I like a friend of mine, a guy by the name of Adrian Schoon. I grew up in youth group with him. He's part of our church. Adrian was studying. He came to Auckland to study to be a teacher. While he was becoming a teacher, we convinced him to go on a short-term mission. He went to India. That was his first short-term missions trip. He didn't just go once, he went three times. India got hold of his heart. But while he was in India, he got a vision, not for India, he got a vision for the youth in our city. He saw a number of at-risk youth who, who, who were outside the education system. He said, we've got to do something about it. Now we had a program already established, but Adrian said, well, I feel my call and my mandate in life is, is to get these guys who have fallen through the cracks and to educate them, to get them to a place we're not that where they can just read and write, where they can actually be influencers in society. It was from that short-term mission, God opened his eyes. From that short-term mission, God changed his paradigm of thought to find his mountain. His mountain, he, he felt was in the whole education line. Now he's trained in that mountain. He's trained to a place where last year he's just graduated with his doctorate. And now he's one of the leading voices in our nation when it comes to to education around at-risk youth, the whole role of the tutor. He's been asked to speak internationally. Now, I said to him the other day, I said, what does this doctorate mean? He goes, well, it means nothing to me because I had that mission and purpose before I got the doctorate. I just got the doctorate to get credibility in the eyes of the world. It's amazing how many people will educate themselves for themselves. (laughs) You know, we should train ourselves, not for ourselves. We should train ourselves for other people. We should be the best at what we do, not for ourselves, but for others. I work on me for you. I love the the fact of David, it says, he shepherded the people of Israel by the skill of his hand and the integrity of his heart. In other words, he didn't just have the right heart, but he was very skillful. Hey, if God's given you a mountain to take, apply yourself. Do it with integrity of heart and do it with skillful hands because God's anointed you. To have that influence. And I'm saying, can't choose a mountain. And we want to help people discover their mountain. So number one is what? Choose a come on, everybody say I need everyone and choose a choose a third one is choose an e-group. Now the early church, the foundation of the church, they met in the temple courts and they met from house to house. Church is a family, it's a community. 
uh, they met. Now, now, they didn't just meet together in this space, but they met from house to house because church is a whole lot of relationships. And I believe significant ministry flows through significant relationships. And it's important that we devote to people within the household of faith. Uh, Listen to this, John chapter 13, I'm almost done. 13 verse 34, this is Jesus. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is this new command. Love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. And it says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, many of us can be good at loving our unsafe friend. That's great. We've got to love them. But the way that they will know that we are Jesus' disciples is by the love that we have for one another. Now, what's Jesus doing here? I, I believe he's, he, he's bringing Christians together so that they can demonstrate how community can operate. Now, as a church, we don't claim to be perfect. None of us are perfect. Just look at your neighbor. But we are striving to be authentic. Are we going to have differences? Yes. But by God's grace, we can reconcile those differences. By God's grace, we can show another way of addressing them. We don't need to distance ourselves. And it's by the love that we have for one another that the world knows that we are His disciples. I find some Christians go, well, I want to love my unsaved friends. Yeah, that's cool. Do that. But it's the love that you have for your fellow Christian that will actually display whether you're his disciple or not. And and that's why we meet in small groups from house to house, challenging one another to go higher in God. Some people go, oh, I've done that small group thing. You know, it's almost like I've graduated from it. No, you haven't. I'm part of a small group. I value a small group. It's where I'm known. In an environment like this, I can come in and go out and not be known. But I need some people who know me. And it's where I can know other people. It's where I can be challenged and where I can challenge. It's where I can love and be loved. And you need that for your discipleship. You put a ceiling over your discipleship if you just lock your Christianity into a Sunday meeting. God's called us in relationship with Him but also to be in relationship with one another. Choose an e-group. And lastly, number four is, if we could have the musicians up, is choose an e-team. Find a place of service. How many know we live in a house? And when you live in a house, you have responsibilities. (laughs) If you live in a house, you've got to contribute. We learned that from a young age. You don't get options as to whether you do the dishes. It's not my call. It's not my gift. Oh, no, no, you do the dishes. You try to use that one. Yeah, it's not my call. Oh, I just, I'm not gifted. Yeah, no, you do the vacuuming. No, you mow the lawns. Yeah, when you're part of a house, you contribute. Do you know what church is? This is a house. It's a home. We need people serving in the house because we want to have an open home. 
when others can come in. How I many know? You know, sometimes, you know, when the chores aren't done and people are coming over, you go, ah, oh, I can't have you over. That's why we're, we look for volunteers because we want to be ready at all times for people who are going to come into our world. We want more in our cupboard than we need for ourselves. So that when people come into our house and they take sugar, we don't because we're on the Daniel fast. We still have sugar in the cupboard that we can offer them. We have more in our cupboard than we need. And that's why serving is so important. Now you've got to understand, many people get this confused, but when it comes to being a Christian, there's responsibilities of the house. Many people go, well, yeah, I'm serving over here in my career. I'm too busy at work to serve in the house. No, it's your house. All of us go to work during our day, but that doesn't excuse us when we get home from taking out the rubbish. So many Christians sit in church and go, well, I'll just sit here and let everybody else serve. No, as a Christian, we're all called to serve. Yeah, there's different degrees. Now I know some of you live busy lives, but we're all called to serve. And as Christians, we never graduate from serving. Serving is the mechanism in which the kingdom goes forward. It's the operating system of the kingdom. And we've got to find a place of service in the house. And we've got to serve. How are we going to take mountains? It's through serving. Serving those mountains. And we've got to understand the difference because, because many people, if the truth be known, as Paul said in Romans, they think more highly of themselves than they ought to. And when you don't serve in the house of God, you've elevated your role above another. And my family, you know, there was always arguments growing up. Oh, well, why do I always get asked? Come on, how many of you have heard those? I always have to do the dishes. It's their turn. It's their turn. So many of us look on at what others, but are we fulfilling our role? Come on, there's a role in the house. And I find when you play that role, you get ownership. Some of you are distant from church simply because you haven't found a place of service. And we're called to serve. Yeah, different degrees, I know. But some can give a lot, some can give little. But whatever, we all need to find a place where we're serving in the house of God. Do I get an amen to that this morning? Come on, you see the difference? We live, this is home. We want to keep our open home. We want to be ready. Yeah, we go take a mountain over here. We serve over here, but let's play our responsibility and take our responsibility here. So number one is choose a Choose a, choose a, and choose a eating. Now, I really believe that will help each and every one of us walk in our God-given purpose. I pray that your spirits are open. Now, I really believe God's going to take the one and make it a thousand, the small and a strong nation. I really believe we're going to explode. We're going to have to create more space in Jesus' name for everything that God wants to do. How about standing to your feet right where you are? Let's live with open home. Let's live bright and let's live bold. How about lifting a hand or two to God? My time's done. But I believe God wants to do something in this moment right here, right now. Bible says, blessed are those who are on a pilgrimage. I've been in ministry over 
20 years, been in the house of God all my life. And it's been a pilgrimage of discovering what I'm on the planet for. Some of you got big questions. God's got the answer to those questions. If you just seek after Him. God wants to reveal His heart towards you this morning. You're not here by chance. You're here because He's got an assignment for you. You are His masterpiece. You've been recreated in God for good works that He's prepared in advance. Holy Spirit, right now, just come upon lives. Oh, right now, bring confirmation to hearts. Some of us already know, but bring confirmation. Lord, release courage, I pray. Oh, release even a greater level of boldness in what we're called to. Lord, I thank you. Lord, you've marked us as individuals, but I pray you'd mark us corporately together. Lord, that would take hold of everything that you've assigned for us. Lord, I pray as a congregation of people, let us have all things in common. Lord, that we may be able to display to a world around us that we are your people. Holy Spirit, I thank you, Lord, this year. We're going to hit our sweet spot in Jesus' name. Lord, I speak a blessing over every life, over every endeavor. Lord, whatever mountain they're called to, business, sport, Lord, right now, bless them in Jesus' name. Lord, let the weight of heaven come in behind them. Give them favor. Give them open doors. Lord, I pray. Lord, Lord, as they delight in you, you'd give them the desires of their hearts in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray if people feel stuck in this place, in a career, Lord, that you haven't called them to. Lord, I pray, help them transition in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you. You're good. And your grace is towards us. Right now, in this place.